Travel, it's one of life's greatest pleasures. When we journey abroad, we discover new places and meet fascinating people, but we also gain perspective and take on a wider view of the world around us. That was Trevor Ranges, and I'm Scott Coates. After more than 25 years living and working in Asia, we've developed an amazing network of interesting characters throughout the region. Talk Travel Asia is our way of sharing them with you. Plug in and get connected to hot tips, interesting perspectives, and expert travel advice as we cultivate travel insight through intelligent conversation. Bangkok is one of the world's most visited cities. Its sites are some of the most featured on Instagram, and almost everyone will come up with some mental picture of the city, good and bad, the moment they hear the name. Founded in 1782, when the Chakri dynasty established Bangkok as Thailand's capital, it's a vibrant, dynamic city that dazzles the senses at every turn. Some love it, others hate it, and all with good reason. Today, we'll explore the city of angels well beyond the surface with longtime resident and author Philip Cornwell-Smith, who will share insights from his new book, Very Bangkok. From Bangkok, Thailand, this is Scott Coates, and with me as always is my co-host... Trevor Ranges in very Phnom Penh, Cambodia. Hey, 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 what's uh, going on? <laughs> well, I'm in Phnom Penh, you know, and uh, I do yeah. miss Bangkok. I love Bangkok. I lived in Bangkok. Uh, well, it was my home for 18 years, even though sometimes I was living here and sometimes I was living in Bali and sometimes I was going to school in Vietnam. But Bangkok always right. drew me back. I always considered Bangkok my home for those 18 years. Um, it's it's a, such an interesting place uh, for those who have never been there. Uh, after about nine months, Bangkok would start to drive me crazy because it was so crowded and so congested. And and then I'd be gone for six months or nine months and I would miss it so much how convenient and easy it is to get around and how great the food is. So, uh, yeah, Bangkok's uh, in some ways a love-hate relationship for me, but uh, mostly love. Yeah, it is a city. I absolutely understand how when visitors tell me, some visitors will say like, oh, I hated Bangkok. I get it, right? It's hot, it's crowded, it stinks, it's all those things. I also understand how people love it. Like for me, I love the food. I love that you can get cold fruit pre-cut almost anywhere. I love that I need a shoe repaired and you know there's probably a guy down the road that is just fixing shoes on the side of the road. People are generally friendly. It's very, very safe. While traffic sucks, there's, hey, there's motorbike taxis, there's boats on canals. And even after like almost 20 years here, there's still all kinds of nooks and crannies that I've not been to things to discover. I mean, I am starting to not like the constant heat. Yes, traffic can get to you. There's not enough green green spaces. And the smell of salty fish being cooked. Ooh, man, that for me is one like... Anyone who smelt it, like not even the fish, the salty squid, oh, yeah, like that. That's a bad fish. one too. Oh, it's that's a bad one. Yeah. So, no, but in many ways, it's a, it's for me like it is the city of smells. Sometimes you get a blast of like chili oil. Yeah. Uh, the food they're cooking food on the street all the time. So like the food in Bangkok is something that I love. Um, again, like the, the shoe repair guy or the guy who can fix your jeans, yeah, there, was yeah. a, there was a place near my house, like you get some old pair of jeans that are all ripped up and they can stitch them right up for you. Just like, not like new, but like you get an extra year out of a pair of jeans that you think you could throw yeah, for away. For a dollar you know? 50 US. And then, yeah, just getting around motorbike taxis, the, the Klong boats, the BTS, uh, exploring all sorts of different neighborhoods. The fact that like it's constantly evolving and changing and, mm. and there's always these new things to see and do and, and places to go, whether they're restaurants and bars or, or museums and, and just, you know, like it's such a vibrant city. 
um, it, it's definitely worthy of, of numerous books, certainly a big fat book uh, by Philip. Yeah, and I really enjoyed his very tie book. I've given so many copies of it. And I've always described it not in a demeaning way as the perfect toilet book, because every section is like one or two pages in that. So you just have a few minutes, you read a thing, it'll say be about why are the napkins so thin and you read it and it's full of fascinating stuff. And I'm about 60% of the way through uh, very Bangkok. And uh, the sections are longer in this one, but it's equally fascinating. I find, hey, I've spent 18 of the last uh, 20 years here. And I'm still learning tons of stuff. In fact, March is the windiest month that we have here. And I didn't know that before. So yeah, I, I, I've, I find it really interesting. Have you read the old book? I did. I got a copy of Very Thai. I entered the Bangkok Post had like a photography contest. They, you know, just randomly and I sent a photo in and I won the Bangkok Post photo contest. And my prize was a copy of Very Thai. Nice, nice. Well, before we bring our guest in, uh, remember everyone, if you're listening now, that means you're hopefully enjoying it. And Trevor and I do this as a hobby on the side from our jobs. We cover the costs of everything. And we are asking, please support us financially. Go to patreon.com, search Talk Travel Asia, and sponsorship starts from a dollar a month upwards. If you go to the higher tiers, We'll talk about you right here. We'll say your name on this show. So please support us, patreon.com, Talk Travel Asia. And hey, let's get into it. Let's bring in our guest. We've been lucky enough to know our guest for quite a long time. Philip Cornwell-Smith is originally from the UK, but made his way to Thailand in the 90s, quite by accident, as many do. He started as the editor of a listings magazine, Bangkok Metro, authored and produced a timeout travel guide to Bangkok and the beaches, and then made a massive splash in 2005 with his book, Very Thai. In it, he explored many, many quirky elements of Thai life and has since gone on to become the go-to authority on Thainess, despite not being Thai himself. He joins us today from the UK. Welcome again, Philip, and thanks for making time for us. Yeah, okay. So last time we chatted, Philip, you were with us in July 2015 to talk about your other book, Very Thai, way back on episode 28. What have you been up to in the last five years? Well, I've been redrafting a book that's been going on for a very long time about Bangkok. And it took several goes to find the right formula to present the material. Um, basically, Bangkok is a very fast changing city. And I found mm -hmm. that the material that I'd got um, was vulnerable to change. And I didn't want a book that would become out of date. So I found a way to make the, the book more um, uh, future-proofed. And that was really doing it the hard way uh, uh, by trying to look at the reasons why things are the way they are in Bangkok, rather than looking at just what's around the place. So it was the why rather than the what. And that took an awful lot of doing. Uh, I had to go deeply into each area of life and try and work out what was the dynamic that was making it be like that. A lot of people have questions about why Bangkok is like it is. They, 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 they find they're surprised that it functions well, despite being seemingly chaotic, things like this. So I'm looking into the dynamics of 
the why about Bangkok. That's very true. Since all three of us have lived in Thailand and in Bangkok for very long, I think a lot of those things have become normal to us. But uh, yes, things do work very differently and, and in mysterious ways. Before we delve into some of those details a little bit more, um, you know, Very Thai was the, the last book that you produced that we talked to you about on Talk Travel Asia. Uh, that book became very successful. Did the success of that book uh, come as a surprise to you? The book was tackling a topic that hadn't been done before that I knew people would like to learn about and see things about because it was about things that are very familiar but were underexplained, the everyday popular culture, the things that are, are ordinary in daily life. And they they didn't have much of a a presence in on the bookshelves or in in public domain uh so i felt that would be successful but i didn't expect it to become quite the cult book that it is particularly among thai creatives it was a bit of a surprise it became a, a visual reference as well a style guide and uh, has ended up being the go-to book about it and quite legendary among a uh, an echelon of thai creatives in many many different fields so it's actually ended up being very influential and that, of course, makes it higher pressure to follow up, right? It's the difficult second album. It's not quite my second book, but it's the equivalent of that scenario after a band following up a hit first album. Before we get into the new book, I have two kind of questions. One, how many copies has the first one sold? Can you can you share that or is that top secret? Um, well, I don't have the figures off the top of my head. It's okay. ten, many tens of thousands. Wow. Uh, which awesome. for a hardback book, mm. uh, in it's about 11 printings. Awesome. Um, uh, in all in hardback, yeah, and and people you see buy multiple copies of it, which is something I hope they'll do with the new one too. It gets stolen off coffee table books wow. and guest room bedside tables and uh, uh, given as gifts. Um, I think you know about that a bit, Scott, don't you? <laughs> I do. I've, I've bought a few. I should almost get a commission. So, look, um, I mean, it's kind of a two part question. When did you first get the idea for Very Bangkok and why has it taken 14 years between books? Bangkok is the place that I live and it, it became apparent to me I needed to write about it. I'm somebody who's a writer about cities. I've been mm -hmm. working on city books since uh, the late 1980s at Time Out and, and I'd also edited the City magazine. So I got bit uh, a lot of material over the years i've been steeped in bangkok and okay. it had in many ways been my job to look at that place with a a certain kind of uh having a, an eye for it a certain angle on it that uh, was not necessarily what what it, the everyday person would be doing in relation to bangkok it was my job to look at the city Right. And I'd accumulated a lot of points of view, but these need a bit of verification and um, and also testing of my ideas as to is this perception actually what's happening there? Um, and after a while, you start to see patterns in in behaviour in okay. the, the way things are set up and organised, hmm. and quite a lot of it was counterintuitive. Um, the city looks chaotic and is often described as chaotic. But strangely enough, there's a lot of order in that chaos. Hmm. That those systems of order aren't always things that people like to talk about much, because some of it's uh, extra legal, some of it's mafia, some of it's uh, things that are done by low status people in ad hoc ways that don't fit the systems of describing things as being rules and laws and uh, and the formal culture. Hmm. Uh, meanwhile. The forces of order in Thailand 
are very often the causes of chaos, <laughs> the multiple standards for everything, the um, the way whole laws and systems can be reset by people who just decide to do something different and people just have to go along with it. It's done with impunity. So the forces of order are often done from a position of uh, uh, of very individual whim or for agendas that are different. I think we definitely understand that uh, both having lived in Bangkok, but maybe for our listeners, you could give us a specific sam- example. What is something that's very Bangkok that you didn't discuss in very Thai? You know, like obviously Bangkok is Thailand and, and there's Thai people there. So people in Bangkok behave very Thai. But what is some, some, a couple of things that are very Bangkok uh, specific? I think Bangkok's a very frenetic place and it seems like there's a lot of uh, uh, chaos on the surface, as I just mentioned. And if you look at something like transportation, um, there is a very particular way that the city grew physically. It started off as a water city and then it became a, a land city. And the settlement patterns were very particular because it was always arranged so that different ethnic groups um, or even migrant groups from other parts of the country would settle in little enclaves and they would not be connected to other enclaves. They maybe be connected to a canal or to a main road, but they, that's why there's no uh, interconnections between these different neighborhoods in particularly in central Bangkok. And as a result, you've got uh, two layers of transportation in the city and on one level, there's the things that you see on maps. It's the sky trains and the highways and the expressways and um, formal transport routes. And then there are other areas in the city that are served by other kinds of transportation that's not on any maps, where the songtail stops are, where the motorcycle taxi stands are, and so forth. And these areas are often connected into things like pathways and uh, little lanes and uh uh, canals, but they're not very well connected to the major highways. So you've actually got two complete layers of transportation sitting on top of each other. And and a lot of it doesn't make it into formal maps. And it's quite interesting with digital technology, uh, something that I've looked at a lot in the book um, is new ways of mapping done through digital technology. And one of them called depth map is quite interesting. You can put in different uh, variables into the program. And at a certain level of the distance of walking or the distance of a quick motorcycle ride can reveal a different kind of uh, map to what you're used to seeing. And what it will show is areas that are like um, a run of street vendor carts in a small area or at Baksoi where like a, a network from a one enclave meets a main road, there's a lot of stalls and shops and banks and things like this. Now, these are often extremely busy, but you'd never notice them on a map. Uh, The the malls are mentioned on a map, but these are very important for everyday life in Bangkok. Uh, And countless millions of people use these kinds of little mini centers. And they're also busy at different times of day for different purposes. So I think that something that's very particular to Bangkok is how there is this network. It's almost like a totally separate city layered underneath the formal one that has got quite different 
centers of activity, different transport methods, songtails and motorcycle taxis and trolleys and God knows what. And uh, they're totally separate. And one is very formally visible and the other is not mapped. It's not delineated. It doesn't have many rules around it, but except that it is organized and it's not explained. So this is something I think that's very interesting for people to contemplate about Bangkok and why it's so different than other places. Yeah, and I'm about 60% of the way through the book. And and what you've just talked about, I've already read in the book. And you have some really good illustrations that show these kind of different layers. Um, I'm really curious. Now, the, the subtitle of Very Bangkok is In the City of the Senses. Why did you choose that? I wanted broadly in the book to make people see the city through different perspectives, multiple different perspectives, because it's a city that is extremely cliched in its reputations more hmm. than most places. Okay. Um, some, a lot of uh, sensationalist cliches, a lot of fantastical cliches, a lot of um, uh, rather banal kind of uh, truisms about the place, things that, uh, are, uh, you know, we're living in the city. This is kind of thing that other people from outside will talk about. But also there's a lot of cliches from within. And a lot of Bangkok people will describe when you ask them about Bangkok, they will immediately revert to talking about Tainus. And I say, no, no, what's Bangkok about this place? And so in order to get over these barriers that people have to understanding it in terms of the city, I, I, I thought <clears throat> I needed to find a way that people could relate to that was sat outside those cliches. And everyone has senses. Most of us have got all of them. And actually, it's way beyond the normal five senses plus the sixth sense. We have about 23, 24 senses, depending on how you count them, um, with sight. We've also we've got one to do with form, one to do with color. Um, and I, I found that when I looked into using the senses as a, a, as a structure, lots of things to do with the culture of this place emerged out of it. Um, for example, uh, senses that we don't put much store on in, in the West, like, say, balance or direction, they have very interesting and different cultural resonances in Bangkok. Uh, Thais are taught from a very young age with all of their uh, postures of politeness, uh, incredibly uh, sensitive forms of balance, and the way that they move through space, they're told not to to walk. They're told to walk softly, to hand things gently. To they they, they don't. There's very few collisions in Thailand, except by Westerners and other <laughs> other. Foreigners who are, well, yes, um, but a lot, even the traffic it weaves through. Yeah. People are not wanting to collide, but they're wanting to nip through. And so this sense of, of nimbleness is quite interesting and very Bangkokian. I think that's interesting, actually, that, that you mentioned that, something like balance. Because when you think senses, to me, Bangkok is like a city of smells. Or for people who aren't used to such big cities, it, it has a lot of noise and there's so much to see and lots of colors. That was the first chapter. Yeah, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. But then you also broke it into some other sections, such as heart and face. <laughs> Why did you choose these as other types of sections to divide the book into? It was a honing process over a long time that started off with about four sections that were just enormous and, and so cumbersome. And I, I decided to make senses the core idea, and it's half the book. And then I, I wanted to basically... Uh, senses is about the experience of the city. It's our first initial 
impact that we get from what the city's like. Then you go a bit deeper and you find out more about what it's like inside. And that is the heart of the city. It's about its, it's the second section is really about communities and about people and how they uh, interrelate and how they also have their own organizing structures that are a bit different than other places. And then the last section, FACE, which is a much smaller part, is to do with the reputation and the presentation of the city and how people have such different views on it. Um, not, and it's not just, uh, say, tourism. I look at the idea of memory, how the city itself thinks of it, uh, its own origins and how it presents its view of itself through things like museums and festivals and fashions and things. And then all kinds of portrayals by people, whether it's uh, in the arts, uh, but not just visual. Uh, song lyrics are in there, uh, TV documentaries. Uh, I looked at theories about why Bangkok is like it is. And I didn't pick ones that were from famous academics. I picked them from interesting people, mostly younger people, uh, many of them Thai, who have a perspective on Bangkok that's quite refreshing and not what people will have heard. So I wanted to give a sense that there is so many different answers and perceptions about the, the city. But it, when it came to the writing, uh, or really the rewriting of the draft, I found that in many ways the, the chapters in the heart section are the heart of the book. I was quite surprised in the end when I wrote the communities chapter. I thought it was going to be a bit of a dog's breakfast of lots of ad hoc bits and pieces. But when I wrote it, I realized that this was really the nitty gritty. It's about where people live. It's also quite poignant. Some of those middle chapters are less upbeat and more about human predicaments. You touched on a, a really interesting difference to me on the two books. And that was, you were already talked about the different layers, mapping, transport, and so forth. And I noticed so far in what I've read of the book is you, I mean, you use a lot of digital sensing and tools to understand the city. I mean, where did this interest and use of these kind of digital tools to look at the city come from? Because I don't really remember that being part of Very Thai. Oh, it certainly wasn't. And I basically Very Thai was written in an era before these things were devised. Uh, many of these are very recent. Uh, some of them have been things I've experienced myself in Bangkok. There was an exhibition about the uh, electromagnetic pollution of Bangkok. And a, a German artist created headphones a bit like this, but they were able they were they were programmed to translate electromagnetic waves into sound, and you could walk around in Bangkok in different areas and listen to what the electromagnetic waves were. It was a revelation. I uh, I really wish it was more accessible to do this. It was just huh. shocking, really shocking. Do you have to eat mushrooms before? Uh, no, um, <laughs> you feel like you've been taking them afterwards, I, I should imagine. The effect of things like CCTV, the those hanging wires that are ever in the city, the, uh, the those gates you go through in malls, um, LED displays, advertisements, uh, it's fascinating. Um, the most the most shockingly polluted place was a beauty shop in CM Center. But even w walking past the um, the canal, it's a lot less pollution. Then you go down a lane with many of those uh, transformers and wires, and it's shocking the amount of pollution that you're passing. So this was a totally different perception, and it's a very new device that's been done. So I think that this is a refreshing way to, to look at Bangkok because it's, it's revealing things that were not possible to notice before.
I think that would fall into something surprising about the city that people would discover from the book, considering that so many people have traveled to Bangkok. A lot of people have visited there and, and taken photographs, seen all the major sites. So maybe what are one or two other things that, you know, even people who are familiar with Bangkok would be surprised to learn that is very Bangkok. The ordering principle of how the city was set up is something that helps to make sense of the place and provides an interesting experience to do, and that is to explore the old communities. Um, they've become a lot more accessible through tours and a lot more coverage in the last decade. Um, we only have to look at somewhere like Chinatown. When I was starting to research this book, there was it was a bit of a blank spot for me. I hadn't explored much of it. It was very opaque. Uh, there were very few resources. Um, one or two have been published in the time that I've been researching the book. And then suddenly there was an explosion of interest. And now a lot more people are very into Chinatown and it's the, the hot area in the city to explore. But there were all sorts of things that were lurking beneath the surface, I found, when I was being shown around by people from those communities. One extraordinary thing is the way that the uh, Feng Shui of Chinatown has swiveled by 90 degrees in the transformation from them being Chinese who were living here into being Thai Chinese citizens and making the Thai Chinese into Thais. Um, and the traditional feng shui of any Chinese settlement was um, basically going from the river up upwards with various places uh, according to a, the, the form of a dragon. And that dragon's been turned around to go along Yarrat Road with the eye of the dragon being the Chinese gate. It, that was a road carved out by uh, King Rama V, named after the crown prince. And the gate is a, um, actually, it's not a Chinatown gate. It is a, it's a memorial gate for the king's golden jubilee. And so within, you see, even the, the feng shui of Chinatown has been reoriented towards Thai values from Chinese values. So it becomes, even the Feng Shui has become a mixture. It's quite fascinating how even on that level of, of symbolic meaning, the, the Chinese community has been oriented into being a, a, a Thai community. That's really interesting. You know, another thing that I found really fascinating in my reading of it is that you say that a lot of Bangkok residents have a lack of pride for the city. I was shocked by that. Why is that? Well, I... I found this over many years that Bangkok people didn't talk about Bangkok like you hear uh, people in many other cities talk with pride about their cities. You know, the, the Parisians and the Londoners and Kyoto and all these places that are extremely proud of their identity of the city. And all you'd hear from Bangkok people was complaints about the traffic and, uh, and pe so many Bangkok people come from outside and they are very often, well, I, I've seen Bangkok change from being a city when I arrived that was would quite often significantly empty at planting and harvest times because so many people would go back out. Um, huh. In this period that I've lived here, a lot more first-generation settlers have decided to stay longer term. They settle, they have families there. And so you're getting a, an awful lot of Bangkok people being maybe only second generation. Exploded in the 1980s and in, in, in uh, 80s and 90s, huge migration into the city, and it became a much bigger place. And so often, when 
when it came to festival or family times, people in Bangkok would talk about going home. But mm. home was somewhere in another province. Right, right. And right. so huh. you, th- there's this idea that home is not really Bangkok for so many of those migrant people. And over time, they have become obviously more settled in Bangkok, particularly the more generations that are based there. Another factor of it is that Bangkok people have not really been allowed much say over their city. It's such a centralized city um, or centralized country where control over Bangkok is essential for the state to control the country. And so the governor of Bangkok doesn't have anything like the powers that other mayors do in other major cities. In fact, the city is the city geographically is only about half of its metropolitan area. It goes into six or seven other provinces. And so it's not managed in a, as a whole. It's all very fragmented. The, the people don't have much say over it. And when I was interviewing, Thais have got a bit of perception about this, you know, magazine editors and people who would be a centre of lots of information. They were they saying, well, Bangkok's a kind of place where we live, but we don't really feel an identity with it. It's um, it's a source of an awful lot of problems. And I remember one one guy I was talking to, he's an authority on cities, actually, uh, but he was born in old Bangkok. And he was saying that at festival time, lots of people would go home, Glapban, but going out of the city. And he was, spo- he was thinking, well, I suppose the Bangkok people, the ones who were left behind at festival time, it wasn't so much like positive identification as a negative one. And then there's other layers that it's an extremely centralized culture under a hierarchy and nothing middle-sized of middle, uh, middle-scale power of influence is really allowed. So you've got allegiance to family and community and then to the very top, but there aren't middle-sized other powers and authorities that are really allowed in that system. So what I was thinking, though, is that like, you know, like cities like New Yorkers, there's, there's like a New Yorker. You can imagine what a New Yorker is. Or people from Los Angeles have a very distinctive personality style. And I wonder whether maybe it's because Bangkok is is really the only city. I mean, Chiang Mai is obviously a city and like there's cities that like uh, Phuket and stuff like, and in the south. Right. But Bangkok being like the largest city and the capital city and the entertainment center. And it's almost like all of the, the cities in one you know, and then yet it, it lacks like a, a distinctive characteristic. And yet it's still also very different from rural Thailand. So I, I think that Bangkok does and it doesn't have its own distinctive personality in, in many ways, which might be a good reason for people to buy your book so that they could uh, learn a little bit more of the intricacies from someone like yourself who who has spent so much time thinking about it. For a long time, anything urban was equated to Bangkok. Whenever you talked about anything to do with the city, it was only Bangkok that it applied to. And in the last 10, 15 years, provincial cities have exploded in a huge way. And a lot of them have followed a Bangkok model of condominiums and malls and this type of uh, cosmopolitan living. And that is something that I think a lot of Bangkok people who come from Bangkok have been a bit late to appreciate. And a lot of the people that came from outside Bangkok and live in Bangkok, they knew full well about the rise of those cities in those other parts of the country. And I think that some of that is at the root of the political divisions that have happened is that a lot of Bangkok people really didn't like the idea that they weren't the center of everything, that there is uh, a sophistication upcountry 
that they were dismissing. So I think that there's a lot of issues to do with Bangkok's status and primacy that are bound up in that uh, national uh, problem of of how to reconceive of what Thailand is. And sadly, I think one of the defining moments of there being a new Bangkok identity or a new sense of pride in Bangkok was this feeling from 2010 by a lot of um, Bangkokian people who one could say are on the yellow side, that their their city was under attack and that there was uh, a lot of arson done. Uh, it's been hard to prove who did it, actually, even in, through court cases. But the very fact that the city felt under siege and by occupation and then under attack through arson led to a lot of Bangkok people feeling uh, a sense of galvanizing that this is their city, it's their home. And interestingly, after that process, after that crackdown, there was a thing called Big Cleanup Day. And a lot of, a lot of uh, Bangkok people joined in with scrubbing the streets and it was quite a symbolic cleansing. It wasn't only about clearing up the mess. It felt a little bit like expunging things that they didn't want in their city. And what's also noticeable is when you get all the press releases from the BMA, uh, pretty much every month there's a big cleanup day somewhere in the city. And that notion of cleaning things up with groups of people with rubber boots and and, uh, detergent and brooms, and invariably what they're cleaning up is a community evicted or a market evicted or some aspect of informal Bangkok being taken out and the city being made clean and uh, presentable for the more, you could say, perhaps bourgeois attitudes that come with middle-class affluence. And there has been also, in, in line with that, a lot of crackdowns and evictions of the informal culture that sustains so much of the city and sustains a lot of the people who suddenly, you know, we've got people who are in charge of these ideas saying to rural people, don't think you can just come to Bangkok and trade. You've got to think of the property values of the buildings that you trade in front of. Um, this is where Bangkok's at now. It's a very difficult time for the city and uh, there's people pushing in different directions. And I think this idea of the big cleanup days after getting rid of some of these things that many people associate with being Bangkok's identity are really changing how people think about the city. It's a really interesting perspective. And I mean, this this book is, a, I'll, I'll swear, just, it's a hell of a work, man. There is a there is this big wordage. There's a lot of photos. It is a, it is a, a dense book in a, in a good way. And I know it took you a lot of time to produce. And when I would run into you for years, I'd be like, hey, when's the book coming out? When's the book coming out? So now I'm going to ask the, 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 uh, probably an infuriating question. What's next for Philip? Well, here I am under lockdown. And everywhere is under lockdown. Bangkok's under lockdown. Um, I'm at this moment uh, uh, taking care of my parents who are elderly. And um, so suddenly priorities for everyone in the world are a bit different than they were just six weeks ago. And so it's good in a way to be in a limbo like this because I was sort of expecting there to be a limbo after this book was finished and that I would then have to think about direction of all sorts of things because it had been part of my life uh documenting bangkok not just writing this book but in many ways it was a it was summing up many things that i had gone through in bangkok it's not autobiographical but it is what i've witnessed 
over a quarter of a century. So I, I was expecting there to be a period of uh, an interregnum, and so suddenly the world has given me a period of of uh, pause. And so it is a time to take stock and work out what I would look at next. I think on a practical level, I'm not in a position to research something brand new in this situation. Um, and I don't feel like writing anything about the whole COVID scenario. At least everyone will be writing about it. Um, but I think that pretty much every topic that I might deal with, because I'm a writer about contemporary culture in Asia, basically, um, that's all going to be affected by this and in, in ways that are unknowable. Um, an awful lot of the way Asia is set up is around things like um, markets and tourism and things that will sh- will change. And um, so I think I might well do further things from my material about Thailand. Hey, look, we uh, really, A, appreciate your books, uh, big fans, but appreciate you making time, especially when you are all the way over in the UK taking care of your parents. So yeah, thanks so much for, for making time and sharing a bit about this story. Where can people go to learn more about Very Bangkok? Is there a dedicated website? There's a Facebook page for it. And uh, the book is available now in foreign markets, not just in Thailand. So it's uh, in Southeast Asian markets. It's arrived in America and the UK. It's available worldwide through people like uh, books, book ordering services. Well, thanks again, Philip. Really fascinating. I'm enjoying the book. And this weekend, I'm going to get through another good chunk of it. So thanks. Be healthy. Be well over there. Thank you very much. And the same to you. Okay. You know, I haven't yet read the book, um, but now I'm certainly curious to, uh, of course, I've read very Thai. Um, obviously Bangkok is, is quite different from larger Thailand um, and, and very culturally different and just lots of, you know, it's a big modern city with lots of crazy things going on. And Philip seems to have delved quite deep. You know, some of the things that he discussed uh, today, I think, uh, might go over the heads of some of our listeners without maybe seeing some of the illustrations and the pictures. Because even I was like, gosh, what? I, I'm not even sure what he's talking about. And sometimes I really did. Like the fact that there's like a city under a city or a city within a city, like these, like even just the motorbike hubs, you know, like where you can find a motorbike. Like anyone who lives in Bangkok knows where all these little motorbike hubs are, but there's not really a map or anything that, that, that people know. It's just something that we informally know. This is where you can get a motorbike. And roughly this is how much it should cost between a and b yeah i mean it is a dense book in a good way it is a bit more scholarly and a a bit of a thicker read than the first book but man there is a lot of detail there like i knew of these they call them the body chasers these private ambulance services but i didn't actually ever think that it's because there's no official ambulance service in this city and i knew a bit about spirits and gods but i've definitely learned a lot more about them in fact a couple important like spirits and trees that are near where I live. I mean, this book does go really deep. It's the kind of thing you're probably good for like about an hour to go. Um, it is fun. I mean, there is, I mean, Philip's been here about 25 years. There's 25 years of knowledge in there. So yeah, it, it's, it's worth picking up if you're a fan of this city and you really want to get some deeper knowledge. I absolutely guarantee you are going to learn a lot from it. It was nice to chat with him. But, uh, hey, Trevor, before we sign off, why don't you tell people how they can help keep this show going? Well, I think the best place to do would be to go to our website, www.talktravelasia.com. 
Amazon.com. There you'll see a little donate button on the left-hand side of the screen, unless I've updated the website by then and moved everything around. But you can go to uh, TalkTravelAsia.com. Uh, we have show notes. That's one of the things we do. We like to uh, generally make Google Maps. We put links to all sorts of information. So we'll have photos from Philip and we'll have links to where you can buy the book. So while you're there, if you can go ahead and donate, you can sponsor us for as little as $1 a month. That's like 50 cents an episode. I think that's a pretty good deal. Um, otherwise, I think the show notes are pretty helpful. And, uh, you know, we appreciate any assistance you can give us. But otherwise, just the fact that you listen each episode uh, means a lot to me. Yeah, it sure does to me as well. So thank you in advance for helping to keep this thing going. And we'll be back in two weeks with a brand new episode of Talk Travel Asia. Until then, happy trails. Thanks for joining us on Talk Travel Asia. We look forward to sharing with you again soon. Hey, Scott, do you remember the time we walked on top of the wall in Port Tom and Canada? 